This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. This morning I'd like to call your attention to Corinthians 1, 10 through 17. And if you find it, would you please stand? Ten. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be none division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. What it has been declared to me concerning you, my brother, by those of clothes, household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except was it Christus and Gaius. At least anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephen. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, least the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Let's pray. Father, we do come again in the name of Jesus, Lord, looking to you and praying, Father, that you um, bring the truth of your word home to our hearts. Lord, we pray that um, your desire the desire expressed in this passage through the pen of Paul may be true of us and pray that it also be true of the church as a whole. There would be no divisions, but that there be unity. God-centered, Christ centered, truth-centered unity. Lord, we pray, work these things in our lives. We pray that You bring us into line with the truth of Your Word as individuals so that um, it is also eventually true as a church. And Lord, we thank You for the unity that we have. True, genuine unity in spirit. Unity as the body of Christ. And again, just pray for greater personal realization of this unity. So that through it all, Lord, um, Your will is worked out for our good and for Your praise and honor and glory. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. 
Amen. 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 You can be seated. <clears throat> yeah, thank, <clears throat> thank you again, Dan. Appreciate that. Well, I'm, I was thinking too, when <clears throat> Brother Ron prayed, he said he was thankful to uh, be able to come before a living God. <laughs> oh, boy, that's good. I, and I'm thankful for that. I, I always, um, you know, feel inadequate to do this. And not only this, but just like we were talking about in Sunday school, um, feel inadequate to live the Christian life. And so, it is uh, a, a blessing beyond uh, you know, anything we can express verbally, I'm sure, to be able to come before the living God and look to Him for power, enablement, and uh, instead of you know, instead of us having to stand our God up like you know the Philippines, uh, the the, the uh, Philistines did when the ark was taken into the house of Dagon, and poor uh, poor thing kept falling over. And they would come back in and stand him back up, and uh, it's just so good to be the other way around, isn't it? You know, I mean, we fall. Uh, that's not good, but we do fall, and and God picks us back up instead of. Him falling and us picking Him back up. And we don't have to put words in His mouth um, and say, you know, thus saith the Lord and speak on behalf of this rock or this wooden idol or whatever it is. Um, He's given us His Word. And we don't have to depend on our own power. He empowers us. It's good to come before a living God. Living God. All right. This morning... Um, we're picking up where we left off in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1. And uh, uh, look at these few verses. This will, you know, we'll, we'll probably finish up this section and maybe go a little bit beyond it tonight. Uh, we won't. Um, there's just certain parts here I want to kind of focus in on. Um, and Paul, uh, as he begins to describe some of the problems, in fact, gets at the heart of some of the problems here in the Corinthian church. You know, um, division can be a good thing, can be a, a right thing. And we're told on the last day, for example, uh, that the Lord is going to separate. There's going to be a division, separation, sheep from the goats, you know, saved from the lost. And uh, that's, that's just... The Lord is, is going to do what is right and good and just. And even now, as part of our calling, we are called out of the world. So there's a, there's a true sense in which we are separated from the world. So that we can say, I mean, this is not just uh, plateau thinking. There, we can say we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And it's not, it's not because, like Jesus, it's not because we originated um, you know, in heaven. We came down. And we, you know, we lived eternally and then we became man. No, it's not, not that. But it's because now, because we're in Christ, we're, we're of a different kingdom. So, so there is a real sense in which we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so, even though while we're here, we're separate. And that's a good separation. And it's a separation that, that, that um, you know, needs to continue to grow or, or get wider as we move through the Christian life. And it's no wonder if you think about it. Uh, sometimes that people think 
um, that, that maybe we, we think too much of ourselves or that we're uh, self-righteous. Now, I understand a lot of times that we're to blame for that uh, because, because we, 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 we put off that impression. And so that's just our fault. But even if we were doing everything else right, in fact, we could look to Jesus as our example. He did everything right. And some were willing to, to accuse him of that kind of thing. So uh, it looked strange to them because he was so separate. Wasn't, wasn't like them. So there's some legitimacy there. And there need to be real separations. When a person comes to Christ, oftentimes there are separations that take place. Oftentimes old friendships are lost. And new ones, you know, started because, because there's a new life. It's hard to be a Christian and continue in the same lifestyle. I mean, why would we, why would we want to do that? So it's not a judgmental thing. We don't say, okay, we're too good to hang out with people of the world. It's just that we, we can no longer participate in the things that we once participated in. So there's a, there's a, there's a division, a legitimate division, a le- legitimate separation. But there are times, of course, when separation is bad. And we can even think of examples in the world. People have tried all kinds of different ways to set themselves above other people. So, for example, sometimes you have segregation or separation based on ethnic lines or you know, nationality or something like that. And, and uh, those things are just... Uh, are just uh, Always self-centered. Um, those things are just superficial. They're bad. They're evil. They're bad separations. And as I said earlier, even sometimes we as Christians can fall into that if we're not careful and, and, and align ourselves wrongly with, with the wrong things and, and create a separation that's not necessary. Um, we need to be separate in the right ways. So there are bad divisions as well. And we're going to see some examples of that here, and this is what Paul begins to begins to talk about um, in these next few verses as he gets into the heart of his letter, the body of the letter. He's, he's going to get into now talking about what he, you know, the reason that he wrote to the Corinthians. So he starts with a call to unity. A call to unity, verse ten. I appeal to you, brothers. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's kind of a, an answer to or a continuation of what he had begun back in verse 4. He, he says, I give thanks there. I give thanks to my God always for you. So he lets them know up front, and this is what we talked about um, in the last few sermons, that uh, he, he considers them to be legitimate in the sense that this is a true church of God. And he's thankful for them. He's thankful for them and he lets them know it. He's thankful for the ways in which God has blessed them. So he tells them right up front, I thank God for you. And now he says, I appeal to you. I thank God for you. And now I appeal to you, brothers. And that word brothers is, uh, is masculine, but, um, but when it's used that way, it, it, the idea, it, it could be translated brothers and sisters. Uh, when, it's, when it's used in the masculine like that, referring to a crowd, it, it, can, it can be talking about a mixed crowd. So, he's talking to the church, brothers and sisters. I appeal to you, brothers or brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that you all agree. Now, before I get to that, just notice that he's also basing this upon the authority of Christ. He's not speaking out of his own desire as a man. You know, I just wish everybody would get along. It would make my life easier as an apostle. (laughs) It would make my calling easier if everybody would just agree. You know, help me out here. Work with me. It's not, not what Paul's saying. Not exactly. I mean, obviously, he'll, if everybody would get along, he'll reap good benefits from that. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying that this is from the Lord. This is the will of God. This is, this is a command, an imperative from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm appealing to you, Paul says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm speaking on behalf of the Lord in this appeal. So, in Paul's case, and this is what every faithful preacher attempts to do. I have to to make a distinction here. And I, I get up here attempting to do this. Speak on behalf of the Lord. And I pray for God's wisdom and, you know, unction, ability, empowerment to do that. Realizing that I'm fallible. Paul, as he is speaking here, is, is writing this um, with God-given infallibility. So, um, I think I could honestly say before you today that, I, that God wants us to be unified. But, Paul uh, is writing this as God's certain Word. Alright? So, when I say it, in other words, I'm using the Word of God as as the foundation for my assurance, you know, the, the authority that I have is coming from here. <laughs> and that's kind of what Paul is saying. My authority is coming from the Lord. But again, he is speaking infallibly. So when we read this, we can say, this is the Word of God. This is God's desire. We're getting a glimpse at God's heart anytime we read these kinds of things in the Scripture. We're getting a glimpse at God's design and desire for His people, for the church. And so, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, our brothers and sisters, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. Now, we could just stop right there for a second. Paul, Paul has pretty big expectations. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't he? All I'm asking is that you all agree. All that the Lord wants is that you all agree. Well, maybe we'll get to talk more about that as we go. Um, Lord willing here. But but the standard is high. And and I don't want to take away from that. The Lord wants us in agreement. So, he goes on. I appeal to you that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So Paul is appealing to them for unity based upon the will of the Lord. 
Now, first of all, he says, I want you to all agree. And I want you to notice here, it'll be more obvious in some translations than others. Um, what I have here in the ESV, that all of you agree. Now, literally, it's more like uh, say the same thing. And the reason I'm pointing that out is because of the use of the, the, the word same there. Because we've we got it three times here. I want you to say the same thing. And I want you to be in the same mind. And I want you to have the same judgment. It's interesting, isn't it? Say the same thing, or agree as it's put in the ESV. Say the same thing. Be in the same mind and have the same judgment. That's, that's unity. Say the same thing. Express the same thing. Be in the same mind. Or, in other words, have, this, have the same understanding. And the same judgment. Our opinion might be another way to look at that. Have, have the same understanding and the same opinion. Say the same thing, same understanding. And if you have the same understanding, what does that lead to? That leads to the same opinion. If you, if you understand something a certain way, you've got a certain opinion. And if all of you understand it the same way, then all of you have the same opinion. So, yeah, I'm not asking much. Just that you say the same thing, understand the same <laughs> And have the same opinion. That's, that's a high standard. And that's what Paul is calling for here under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, that's what Jesus is calling for here. Now, maybe we'll get to uh, unfold that a little bit more as we go, but I, I want to say this, that Unity, or let me say it this way, the Scripture, or we could just say Christianity, Christian faith, demands unity, but not uniformity. And, and that's important when you start thinking about how all this works out, because if we, if we take all of this uh, in an extreme literal sense, you know, say the same thing, be of the same mind, have the same judgment or the same opinion. And, you know, we, we could kind of take that to an extreme and say, well, we, we all just become sort of like clones, robots. I mean, we all just go around saying exactly the same thing. We all dress the same way. We wear the same hairdo. You know, we, we're in unity and uniformity. And if we did that, if we all wore the same, you know, we could, we could, we could go out and buy uniforms and say every Sunday... And Wednesday night, you wear this, <laughs> right? And we, we'd have greater uniformity, which would not necessarily lead to greater unity. And Paul's not calling for uniformity. He's, he's not expecting all personalities to be the same. We're going to see later in the book, he's not expecting everybody to have the same gifting. Even if they have the same gifts, he's not... Expecting it to be expressed the same way because you've got different personalities involved. He is calling for unity, not necessarily uniformity. I used to have some interesting <clears throat> discussions um, 
with some friends of mine in, uh, in the Anglican Church, and they put a heavy emphasis on uniformity. And, and I mean, you know, it's not all, I'm not saying it's all bad, but I'm, they put a heavy emphasis on it. And so, for example, you know, they, they, they use the, the, uh, the lectionary, and every, every Sunday uh, in, a, in a particular uh, Anglican denomination, you could, you could walk into any Anglican church, for us, that's Episcopalian in America, um, but they're all part of the Anglican community. You could walk into any Anglican church and the preacher will be preaching from the same passage. That's, that's pretty uniform. Now, they would write their own sermons, uh, or, they, or at least they had liberty to do that, but they, but they used the passage in the lectionary, in the prayer book. So they're, so they re, they're reading the same Old Testament passage, the same New Testament passage, and the same passage from Psalms. And they're reciting the same prayers because they have them written in the prayer book. And they work, have worked hard over the years, centuries, in fact, to achieve unity. Now, or uniformity. Interestingly enough, um, even in the Anglican community, they haven't, <laughs> haven't achieved that um, because there are now different branches of the Anglican community. And some of them have different prayer books. And so, I mean, if you go to any church in their particular denomination, their particular branch, you know, you would find uniformity. But they may be doing it different from this other Anglican denomination. Well, there's a lot of effort there for uniformity. And there are other ways that's expressed. We, we know of other denominations that have dress codes, for example. Some, some it's pretty well laid out. You know, it's almost like it's written, and some it's not written. They're just, we have expectations. Well, again, I'm just pointing that out because that's not what Paul is looking at here. He's talking about a real change of heart, a real change of mind founded upon truth. And so that while... While life and practice and even, even worship in some ways, as, as far as you know, the outward elements of worship, how it's done, order of service, while those things may be expressed in different ways, not only in different cultures, but among, among different people because we have different personalities, there would still be a unity that transcends all of that. That's, that's more what Paul is, is looking for here. So, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, that is, you say the same thing, and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That is, you have the same understanding and the same opinion. Now, why is that? So that, this is stuck right in the middle of this uh, sentence, so that there be no divisions among you. That's, that's the negative side. Paul says, I want you to be in unity to prevent division. Unity is the desired goal. Division 
is what we're trying to avoid. So, so if basically saying if you'll if you'll be in the same if you'll be in agreement and you'll be in the same mind and have the same judgment, then there won't be any place for division. So do this so that there is no division. Now the word division there is the word schismata, where, where we get our word schism. Schism. We know something about schisms because we have schisms uh, even in the Christian world, right? I mean, I was just speaking about a difference, wasn't I, between Anglicans and, say, Baptists. And there are Presbyterians and there are Methodists. And you can get within any one of those groups and still find further breakdown, more schisms. We've got a, uh, an old, really, an, I started to say a new controversy. It's really an, an old controversy that is, has, uh, <laughs> has surfaced once again, and I'm partly glad for this, um, in the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. And that is the debate over Calvinism versus Arminianism. Calvinism um, representing the absolute sovereignty of God, even in the salvation of sinners. You know, who's going to be saved? Who's not? And Arminianism being the, the, uh, the uh, more widely held position that um, your salvation is basically um, based upon your, your free, free choice. So it's all about your free will. And that's, that's a long, long-standing debate. It's been going on for a long time. It's not, it's not new. You probably all know that. But it, it has surfaced, again, in the SBC with the uh, production of a document by those on the Armenian side um, in which they claim to hold the traditional Southern Baptist view, interestingly enough, of, of soteriology. Um, without going way deep into that, let me just say there is no Southern Baptist view of soteriology. We don't, we don't have our own distinct view. Our, our view of salvation comes from the Bible. Um, we, don't, we, don't have, uh, you know, there's, <laughs> we don't have a unique uh, position. I hope we don't. Um, it's, it's hopefully just biblical. So, even in different denominations, you have schisms. And I get asked by people... Um, Fairly frequently, and probably you do too, how, how can there be so many denominations when you all use the same book? And what they're saying is, you, you, you all claim the same source, you all have one book, how can there be so many schisms, so many different factions, so many different parties? And that's what Paul it's calling upon the Corinthians to avoid. In fact, it's what Jesus is, through Paul, calling upon the, uh, the, the Corinthians to, well, not only avoid, but repent of, because they're already doing this. But let me, let me say one thing more about this word schisms here. It's a, it's a little different than the way we define it today, like, like I was just talking about. Um, generally, we think of different parties, different factions. That's the way it's used a lot, schisms. Here, it is more the idea of, uh, of a... In fact, Paul's using this, uh, this language here 
of a, of a, of a tear or a, a rent in a garment. So, so you've got you know, one garment, maybe a robe, let's say, and you, you tear it. That's, a, that's the word schisma, schismata here. And so he says, I don't want any tears. I don't want any tears in you. I want you to be of the same mind, of the same opinion. I want you to agree. And in fact, uh, that, that word is used that way in a couple of places. Um, when Jesus talks about uh, in the parable of you, know, you, you take a garment that's torn and you, you put a, a, a new piece of cloth on an old garment and it just makes the tear worse, Jesus said. It's the same, same wording used here by Paul. That there be no tears among you, no, no divisions, no schisms in that, in that sense. Tear or rent. That um, is further confirmed in the rest of that phrase. But that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now that word united is, means to be knit together. Paul says, I don't want you torn. I want you torn, you know, not torn apart, but I want you knit together. That's, that's the picture here. So that you all say the same thing. So that you are knit together in the same mind that is having the same understanding and the same judgment or opinion. Verse 11, he gives a reason for this call to unity. And I'm not going to uh, spend a lot of time here because Paul doesn't give us specifics. Um, so so I'm not, I'm not going to say a whole lot about the examples he gives here, but let's read them. Verse 11, for, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. Among you. Now, that is important. We do need to catch that. Here, here's here's the, the problem, Paul says. There's quarreling among you, contentions among you, my brothers. Now, uh, let me just point out again what I was saying last week. You, you notice here how, how he's speaking to them? Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, or brothers and sisters. And then even here when he gets into the rebuke, it has been reported to me that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So I just want us to keep that in mind, that Paul is speaking to what he understands to be a genuine church of God. Loaded with problems, yes, <laughs> and he, that's what he's going to deal with in the letter, but a church nonetheless, that is, a people called out by God to be saints, together with those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 2. So he says, it's been reported to me that there is quarreling among you. And then he gives further explanation in verse 12. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul. Or I follow Apollos. Or I follow Cephas. Or I follow Christ. So now he's, he's given us some insight to the problem. But here's where I'm going to be real careful. Like I say, I'm not going to say a whole lot about... Um, these different groups, I follow Paul, I follow, I follow Cephas, and I follow uh, Christ. And so, you know, because Paul doesn't 
give us a lot of information on that. I mean, he just puts it out there that you, you've got this issue, and then he then he moves on talking about uh, other things related, of course. But but he doesn't give us a lot. If if, if these are individual factions, you know, you got this group over here following Paul, this group over here following Cephas, and so forth. He he, he just doesn't give us much information about them or what the specific areas of disagreement are. You know, is, is it something like we saw in Galatia where, uh, you know, Peter gets ca- caught up in hypocrisy and is calling for the Gentiles to act like Jews? Well, we don't know. So that's, we could only speculate with that, and that's what I want to avoid. But the important thing is they are quarreling. And so Paul raises some rhetorical questions here in verse 13. Is Christ divided? You see, see what he says? There should be no schisms among you, no divisions among you, no tears, no rents among you. Why? Because is Christ divided? Paul says, I want unity, saying the same thing, of the same understanding, of the same opinion, because you're all part of the same body, which he'll go on to talk about later. Christ is not divided. Was Paul crucified for you? See, he's using absurdities. You know, do I, do I need followers? Was I crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And I thank God, Paul says, that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So he's saying there's only been a handful that I baptized, and I'm glad of that now because I would hate for you to be going around saying... I was baptized by Paul and in the name of Paul. (laughs) What he he desires is followers of Christ, not followers of Paul. Or, you could say it this way, uh, he, he wants followers of him, followers of Paul, insofar as he follows Christ. Because the main thing is that they follow Christ. And Christ is not divided. So, there shouldn't be these tears, these rents. The people of Cephas, the people of Apollos, the people of Paul, were all of Christ. Is Christ divided? Well, the obvious answer is no. <clears throat> no, He's not divided. So, He says in verse 16, I, I did baptize... <clears throat> uh, verse, let me go back to verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none... So that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Uh, Paul seems to remember Stephanus as he's writing here. So he says, well, yeah, I did. Because at first he says just Christmas and Gaius. And, well, yeah, I did baptize the household of Stephanus. And then now he's going to cover all the bases. Beyond that, best of my recollection... Um, as far as I know, basically what he says, I didn't baptize anyone else, and I'm glad of it because of these schisms. And that's interesting too, isn't it? I've always thought this statement fascinating. I may, I may try to spend time, more time on this tonight. Uh, um, verse 17, um, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Very interesting. 
it, it's a slippery slope, it, it seems to me. The effort to put the right emphasis on baptism and even the Lord's Supper. My, my own experience, um, some groups like, uh, like I was referring to earlier, the, the Anglicans, um, will, will take those things to an extreme in one way, maybe overemphasize. In fact, some of them will go so far as to say they are means of grace in the sense that they play a role in your salvation. Now, it seems clear to me, from, especially from verse 17, that Paul doesn't view it that way. In other words, if, if, if baptism was part of salvation, actually part of being saved, then it would seem really strange to me that Paul would say, Christ didn't send me to baptize. Looks like he'd be out there saying just the opposite. Christ sent me to baptize and, and trying to dunk everybody he could get his hands on. <laughs> you know? So I don't think he believed in baptismal regeneration. In fact, I'm pretty confident of that. On the other hand, there's a tendency to de-emphasize these things, which we often see in um, denominations like our own. So that they have little importance. And I would say, at least in the Baptist ranks, um, we're not so much uh, guilty of that in the case of baptism, but we are in the case of, ironically, in the case of the Lord's Supper. It really gets de-emphasized. And people, people kind of have a uh, take-it-or-leave-it attitude toward it. It doesn't seem to be a, a, a desire to partake. I do believe it's symbolic, but nevertheless, it is, it is commanded that we do it, right? For, um, for reasons that may be somewhat hidden to us now, but nevertheless, Jesus says do it. And He says, when you do it, well, that is when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you show my death till I come. That itself is important, very important. So we shouldn't have a take-it-or-leave-it attitude toward it. And then again, on the other hand, we shouldn't think, uh, overemphasize it to the, to the point that we think it's salvation. And again, oddly enough, in practice, in, in the Baptist circles, it seems like the Lord's Supper is de-emphasized and baptism is overemphasized in practice. Now, most Baptists that I know of would never say that Baptism saves, that it's, the part of, it's a part of salvation uh, in the same way that the Church of Christ would say that or Roman Catholics or some Anglicans and so forth. Nevertheless, we love to count them, don't we? And publish it. As though that's a sure sign a life has been changed. So it's, 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 it's strange. It's an irony. That in practice, it's almost as though it's salvific. And so we, we boast about baptisms. Well, Paul doesn't seem to go there. He doesn't go to either one of those places. Christ, he, he baptizes. He's, I mean, he's, he's got the right view. And so he says, Christ didn't send me to baptize. Now, I just want to, like I say, maybe deal with that later 
uh, this evening. Um, but uh, for now, I want to close with this one thought. So, he's called us to unity with strong words, strong desire. I want you to be in agreement that there be no schisms or divisions among you. In other words, no tears, no rents. You've got a, a garment. And boy, that, that's a great picture. You've got a garment knit together. They work best that way. I mean, if, at least, especially like if it's cold outside and you put on a garment that's got a lot of tears in it, it doesn't function very well, assuming you want to stay warm. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what Paul's saying about the church. It doesn't, it doesn't function well when it's all torn. So I want you to have the same mind and be of the same opinion. Yet, now here's the last point I want to make. And I'm just going to touch on this because, uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll get time to go deeper into it later. <clears throat> Yet, He's not calling for an unqualified unity at all costs. He's talking about a, a unity based upon specific things. There, there is a, lo- a lot of call for unity. We had a young man come through here not too long ago, and he called me aside at the end of the service. And um, I forget exactly how the conversation went, but he asked me something along these lines. He, something like, um, he was just wanting to know if, if uh, you know, do you, do you have to be a Baptist? I mean, would it, would it ever be possible to take the word Baptist off the name of this, off of the sign or something like that? I said, no, we don't, we don't have to be Baptists, you know. Um, you just got to be Christ followers. And so then he, he went into a, an explanation about, well, you know, I've been going around and trying to uh, encourage people to unity and everybody would just do away with all of those labels and, um, and just come together in unity. Well, that's not <clears throat> altogether a bad idea. But there are some real practical problems. <laughs> Practical problems. I mean, I don't care whether you got it on the sign or not. You can take it off the sign. But you're still going to have some very practical problems. That's what I told him. I said, well, look, let me ask you something. As a pastor, what do I do when somebody comes in here and says, baptize my infant? I said, now, now what do I do with that? In fact, let's just say we got a we got a church made up of people, and a lot of them believe in infant baptism, or pedo baptism, and a lot of them don't. Maybe it's fifty fifty. And then this couple comes forward and says, "We want our infant baptized." I said, "What what do we do at that point?" In other words, what I'm saying is this: a decision has to be made. You you can't avoid that. You're either going to do it or not do it. You, you can't say we're going to. Well, for the sake of unity, we're going to stay neutral on this position. So what does that mean? You know, you just everybody just stands around for the rest of your life doing nothing because you can't go one way or the other. Even that would be not baptizing the infant, wouldn't it? I mean, you, you've got to make a decision. And that's what I told him. I said, you, you, you can't do away with those. Some, we, we are, in some instances, divided for good reason. 
And those decisions have to be made. Practically, they have to work out. Now, I'm not proud of that. I mean, not proud of the fact that we have those divisions. I'm, I'm, I long for the day when those divisions are no more. Probably won't be on this side. It'll just probably be when we get to glory. But all of that, we'll all have the right understanding at that point, and those, those divisions will be eliminated. But right now, they're there. I mean, I guess we could take the position, well, everybody that agrees with me, with me then is genuinely saved, and everybody that disagrees with me is not. And so, you know, we could do that and say, we, we've got unity. <laughs> everybody that disagrees with me is just lost, that's all. Um, but I don't think that's realistic. And that's what I told him. I said, you've got men of God on both sides of that argument, like many other arguments. You've got men of God on both sides, women of God on both sides of that argument that take a very strong position because they believe they see it in the Word of God. Now, how are you going to work that out practically? You're not going to get everybody together unless you come to agreement. So, real quick, Paul's not talking about an unqualified unity at every cost. He's not... He's not saying, throw out doctrine, like you hear said so many times, and let's just come together in the name of Jesus. Even that wouldn't work, because then we've got to talk about doctrine. We've got to say, well, who do you think Jesus is? I mean, are we talking about somebody that was born of a virgin or not? Are we talking about somebody that rose from the dead or not? I want to make sure your Jesus is the Jesus of the Bible or else we, we can't have fellowship. So, I mean, it just, doesn't, it just doesn't work. And what Paul is talking about here is a unity around the true gospel, based upon the true gospel. I want you to, I want you to say the same things, be of the same mind, have the same opinions, because I want all of your understanding and opinions and words to be based on God's truth. And we're going to see as we move on that that's how Paul defines true spirituality. Strangely enough, and I don't have time to give examples, or I would, because we still have examples of this, but strangely enough, the Corinthians, in the midst of all these divisions, thought themselves spiritual. And, and even thought that, you know, based on their own understanding of spirituality, um, some of their carnal, what were in reality, carnal divisions and dividing lines were, were justified. You know, we're spiritual in doing this. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You, you've got it wrong. That is carnality. That's not spirituality. You need to be unified, and your unity needs to be based upon God's truth. Which, uh, in a nutshell, he's going to go. He, we'll expound on it later, but in, Lord willing. But in a nutshell, he's going to describe as being centered around. This is unity centered around the truth of Christ crucified. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let's stand, if you would, and and we'll pray. And dismiss, and Lord willing, and I think appropriately so. Maybe we'll get to talk about baptism a little more tonight. <laughs> and not only talk about it, but, uh, but, but do it and observe it. All right? And y'all pray.
for me and for Elizabeth and Elena and Jordan. And, uh, and while you're doing that, just, uh, just thank God um, for, for them, for their heart, for their profession of faith, for God's work in them. Uh, it's a blessing, true blessing. All right, let's pray. Um, this sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.